0: Well, I could sing all day, but you asked me to speak and I feel like I have cotton balls in my mouth. So I brought a couple of bottles of, of water. Excuse me for a moment while I get situated here. It, it is a joy to, to open God's word with you. We, we've already sung God's word together, celebrating God's goodness given to us in Christ. And, and now we get the joy of, of looking at his word together, considering what he would have for us. And if you haven't already figured it out we're going to be in psalms maybe you saw my name and knew it was psalms or or maybe it was the song that just played that is our text for the morning Um, a friend of mine well he's a friend that doesn't know i exist but i consider him a friend Uh, he's a he's a worship pastor down in alabama who uh, who wrote a a series of songs on the psalms uh, the corner room his name is adam Wright. just some great truths as we think about memorizing god's word and so i'd encourage you to check that out I asked him if I could use it, and he said yes, as long as I give him credit. And so I'm doing that now. Uh, let me read you a story as I, as I think about ending our Christmas break and going into a new year for many of us. I, I came across a, a letter written by a college student to her parents. <clears throat> the student said, the girl said, Dear Mom and Dad, I'm, I'm so sorry to be so long in writing to you. Unfortunately, all my stationery was destroyed the night that our dormitory was set on fire by the demonstrators. I'm out of the hospital now, and the doctors say that my eyesight should return sooner or later. The wonderful boy, Bill, who rescued me from the fire, kindly offered to share his little apartment with me until the dorm is rebuilt. He comes from a good family, so you won't be surprised when I tell you that we're going to be married. In fact, since you've always wanted a grandchild... You'll be glad to know that you'll be grandparents in several months. Signed, your loving daughter. P.S. Please disregard the above practice in English composition. There was no fire. I haven't been in the hospital. I'm not pregnant. And I don't even have a steady boyfriend. But I did get a D in French and an F in chemistry and just wanted you to be sure that you received the news in proper perspective. (laughs) So perhaps you could use that later this semester, students. <laughs> my desire this morning is that we would, our perspective would be clear. We're going to look at a text, a familiar passage to many of you. Oftentimes, even this morning, talking with someone about, oh, Psalm 127, children are a heritage from, from the Lord. I remember my child getting dedicated, or Father's Day, there was a sermon on this. And so it's a, it's a common text that we think about. But this morning, I want to simply look at the first two verses of this chapter and consider two valuable realities about having the Lord as our builder. I've entitled my sermon, Who is Your Builder? And we'll expound on that a little bit in the the minutes to come. But let me just give you a few background details about this psalm before we read it together. Um, Charles Spurgeon, he has called this psalm a psalm for the builder. The Psalm is one of the Psalms of Ascent. That is one of 15 Psalms, Psalm 120 to 134. It's thought that the, the people, the pilgrims, sang these psalms as they traveled the hill to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. The psalm is the very middle of, of those, that section. Uh, some have thought that David could have been the writer of this psalm. Uh, perhaps writing words of wisdom to his son. But as you look at some of the features of the psalm, even the inscription at the beginning, it seems that the author might well have been Solomon himself. In the inscription of it, we see the words, a song of ascents of Solomon. While that might suggest that it was written by him, but the little word of is not clear enough in translations for us to be certain. Some other reasons that it is thought that Solomon is is the author of this psalm is its style. As you read through the chapter, it tends to read more like a proverb, uh, short statements of wisdom. Additionally, it also has some similarities in its themes and conclusions to Ecclesiastes, which Solomon did write. Of course, we know that Solomon wrote Proverbs, but he also did write psalms or songs. 1 Kings 4.32 says that Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. So he was a singer, he was a songwriter, and so this very well well could have been one of them. But lastly, if, if you're familiar very much with Old Testament history and the kingdoms, you'll know that Solomon was the one who built the first permanent temple in Jerusalem. Up until this point, Israel's place of worship was The tabernacle, which was basically an elaborate tent. It was a portable dwelling place that dated back to the time of Moses, designed to be easily packed up and moved with Israelites during their journey in the wilderness. But as Israel settled, the tabernacle began to have that feel of something temporary or even transient. I mean, David himself lived in a palace. But Israel's place of worship was still basically a big tent. And so David even desired to be the one that would build that permanent temple. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 7. But God said no. He wanted Solomon to be the one, or Solomon became the one that was the builder of this temple. And and I believe the psalm gives us some great lessons about building considerations in that. And so I will suggest, even as we consider Solomon as the author, that there's some valuable truths for us to learn about God that we can apply to every endeavor of our life. It's not just about building buildings or watching over cities, but rather it's about every aspect of our life, public and private, being done with Christ. So whether you're a builder this morning or a watchman, whether you're a teacher or engineer, a mom or a dad, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, there's great applications in this text that can encourage us in every endeavor that we have in our life and our labor. So, with that as our backdrop, would you open with me, if you have not already, to Psalm 127 and stand with me as we read God's Word together? I'll read the whole passage. This is the Word of God. Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate, unless the Lord builds a house. Let's pray together. God, we love you this morning, and we are a people in need of you, all we have is because of your kindness to us. And so this morning, as we consider your word, may you teach us to depend upon you, to acknowledge that you are in control, that you are over all things. May we give you glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You could be seated. As we think about how men would even approach this passage differently, let me tell you the story of of two very different men. They were both very outstanding in their particular fields, both very successful, but yet both had very different views of life and success. The first is, is Dr. Robert Oppenheimer. He was perhaps one of the greatest physicists of all time. From his earliest days, he distinguished himself as a -a one-of-a-kind intellect. He was the leader of the Los Alamos Project or the Manhattan Project, which was the group that developed or produced the first atomic bomb around World War II. He went on to lead the Institute for Advanced Studies at Princeton, which led the world in the study of nuclear physics. Oppenheimer was Jewish by birth, but in his personal faith was an agnostic rejecting God. And he found his inspiration in the ancient writings of Hinduism. In fact, he was so intelligent that he decided to learn Sanskrit so he could read the Holy Book of Hindu in its original language. In 1966, just a few months before he died, he assessed his life in this way. He said, I am a complete and utter failure. When challenged by some of his colleagues, when they laid out all of his achievements, all the things that he had done, he said this, The only legacy my achievements leave is a taste of ashes in my mouth. And I leave this life going into the dark unknown. Robert Oppenheimer. But there's another Robert I want to tell you about as well. Robert Gilmore Letourneau, R.G. Letourneau as he was known, was an inventor and an engineering genius. He was born in 1888 and died in 1969, three years after Oppenheimer. He designed numerous heavy duty earth moving machines, the offshore drilling platform, and the electric drive wheel. He had patents on over 300 different innovations, inventions, and his earth moving company built huge projects all over the world. He made millions and millions of dollars, and he gave it all away to missions for 30 years he shared his testimony about the satisfaction and joy of serving Christ every time he spoke he began by saying friends I'm just a sinner saved by grace I'm just a mechanic that the Lord has blessed he and his wife are buried side by side on the campus of the school that he started in Texas Letourneau which is now Letourneau University these two life stories illustrate two very different approaches to life, as I would suggest are presented in this psalm. You see, building a house or watching a city can include both those private things, the building a house, the, the getting married, the having a family, your, your work, your, your personal finances, managing your household, or watching over a city, including all of those things outside in your public life, those jobs in the marketplace, your responsibility to the government, you're serving in the church, in your school. And so this morning, I would suggest that this psalm really covers every endeavor of your life in which a person would say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to accomplish. These are my goals that I have. I want to get married. I want to have this job. I want to earn this certain degree. Achieve these financial goals, grow this church, anything. The Lord can build those things and watch over those things, or you can try to build those things and watch over them yourself. When the Lord builds, whatever He builds lasts for eternity. When the Lord builds a family or wealth or business, it brings Him glory, it has eternal significance. And as a person commits their life to the Lord in the building of it, when they're trusting God's promises, acknowledging God's blessings, the psalm said that God blesses that person with sleep even. God gives you fulfillment. He gives you a sense of peace only found in him. But the psalm also talks about the Lord, the house that the Lord does not build. The city that the Lord does not watch over. It's possible to pursue all the endeavors of life without ever acknowledging a need for God or a desire to seek to bring God glory in any way. A person who would build without God might accomplish great things by the standards of the world, but nothing that he builds lasts for eternity. In all of his endeavors, private or public, They're empty, vain, as the writer would say. The pursuit of these things, from the rising up early or the staying up late, these all potentially are in vain as well. As the person is pursuing wealth, pursuing accomplishments in this life alone, all that is gained is frustration and worry, the anxious toil, it tells us. And so this morning, here's the main question that I want you to consider as we embark on a new year, a, a chance for us to set new goals or resolutions, if you will, here's the question I want you to ask. Who is your builder? Are you depending on the Lord for strength? Are you asking him for guidance and wisdom in your plans? Or would you say that, that you are your own builder, depending solely on yourself, your own wisdom, your own strength, to accomplish the goals that you have set out. These are my two main points this morning. Building by yourself or building with the Lord or building by the Lord. And so you could just put those up and you've already taken the notes and filled it out so now you could choose to take notes as you desire. How you like that? So building by yourself or building with the Lord, even building by the Lord. As we look at the text, we see that the verses are describing the results of building in the same way when one is building by Himself, They're in vain. They're empty. Now, let me say, obviously, that the world, even this room, is filled with talented builders and perhaps architects and watchmen and those who labor, who build magnificent structures and and care amazingly well with things that have attained them earthly success and wealth, prosperity, And perhaps there's some in this world, and maybe even in this room, who have done those things without acknowledging or relying upon God's grace in their lives. But this passage is saying that without God, without acknowledgement of of God being the one that gives those things, they're pointless, they're worthless, empty accomplishments, as Solomon says. Solomon had a lot of experience in this. In, Psalm, Solomon 1, 4, or pardon me, in Ecclesiastes 1.14, Solomon says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. In fact, his own testimony of his own life talks about this. In Ecclesiastes 2, he describes all of his wealth, all the things that he has attained, things that he's planted "'Trees, buying of slaves, building great houses, "'possessions of herds and flocks, "'more than anyone had been before him, "'gathering for himself silver and gold, "'treasures of kings and provinces. "'He became great and surpassed "'all who were before me in Jerusalem. "'He even says, "'My wisdom remained with me. "'Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. "'I kept my heart from no pleasure. "'My heart found pleasure in all my toil.'" And this was my reward for all my toil. I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. What was his conclusion? It's, it's that no matter what you accomplish, no matter what you build and achieve, if the Lord is not in it, it's empty. It's worthless. It's vain. I put a note in here about just a a song or a hymn that I thought of that that my mom taught me. You would think my mom was like an amazing singer and and knew all these songs. And she loved to sing and put so many great hymns in my life. But she was not a great singer. But yet I still remember all of these hymns. There was a hymn that she would always sing around our house. It was called Only One Life. It said, Only one life to offer. Maybe you know it. Jesus, my Lord and King, only one tongue to praise Thee and of Thy mercy sing forever. Only one heart's devotion, Savior, oh may it be consecrated alone to Thy matchless glory yielded fully to Thee. Does anybody know that hymn? Or is it just me? Oh, okay, good. I'm among friends. She's saying that to me, and it, it just reminded me here that we have only one life to offer, and it would be tragic if it was built upon seeking after those things that were worthless, pointless. If there was ever a man who could find that satisfaction, that value in his own plans and in his own endeavors, it was Solomon. He was not hindered by wealth, not hindered by intelligence, not hindered by law. Hello, he was the king. He virtually could do as he pleased. He didn't even have to focus on the internal struggles or tensions within kingdoms. He inherited from his dad a kingdom for many years that was strong and peaceful. And so for 30, 40 years of his his life and reign, he was able to do whatever he desired. Nothing stood in his way as he tried everything, took on huge building projects, built the most amazing castle. In fact, to this day, archaeologists can still identify the gates of his temple as a unique design for city defense. He planned business ventures and trade with shipping from all over the world brought goods to Jerusalem from Africa and Asia and India. It says in 2 Chronicles that the rulers from all over the world made their way to his court to seek his counsel. Even the Queen of Sheba came and sought his advice. But after all of the things that he acquired, all of the endeavors that he pursued, as he stepped back, and looked at everything that he had done and accomplished. His verdict was vanity. How does that happen? How does one who grew up seeking the Lord's guidance, asking God to help in all of his efforts, he prayed young as a child, publicly gave God glory for the successes that he had, found great purpose in his early work, even in building the temple for God's glory. But as years passed, as wealth began to accumulate power, success, it became easier for him to begin to depend upon himself, to forget about the blessings that God had given to him. His life and accomplishments, he was crediting to himself in his work without God. He even pursued other gods in order to please his wives, 1 Kings 11 tells us. And so, I'd like to suggest that Psalm 127 echoes some of these conclusions that can exist at the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. If God is not building and watching and everything is vain, if you're you're building by yourself, seeking to accomplish those things that you desire without him, it won't last. It won't have true satisfaction or fulfillment. One commentator said about Solomon like much of his wisdom, the lessons of this psalm, relevant as they were to his situation, were mostly lost on him. He didn't listen to his own counsel. It'd be easy to read the psalm and think that this vanity part only applies to an unbeliever, perhaps one who, who doesn't know the Lord. And it does. Or that maybe it's only for the, the immature believer. Well, those of us who know what God has done in the past. But it, it, this is a psalm that was sung. It was, it was the one that the people were singing together as they traveled. It wasn't like a, a warning. It was they were reminding one another of this reality. After decades of pouring his energy into projects, he looked up and said, I've been wrong. I've left the Lord out of my work. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about this similarly of what we build upon. He writes in verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, Are there things that you tend to do in your own strength without prayer, asking for God's wisdom, being done for God's glory? You See, the, the psalm does not say that we're, we're either building or we're not building. It says that, that there is building going on. We're all building things in our lives. Many of us are in the building decades even of our life, building our businesses, our, our homes, our retirements. But at some point, we'll have to ask ourselves, what are we we building for? It would be a shame to go on year after year and to look back with regret and say, it's just wood, hay, and stubble. Yes, I know that I'm still saved, but, but what a misfortune it would be, a disappointment to build on my own strength without the Lord. It would taste Like ashes, Dr. Oppenheimer said. So that's what it would look like to build by yourself. Solomon experienced that in vain. But there's another way to build, a radically different way to pursue every endeavor of your life, to build in your public and private life. It's to build with the Lord, to allow the Lord to be the one that builds your house. It means acknowledging and relying upon God to be at work in every effort of your life. Private, public, all for his glory. To say the Lord is the one who builds your house. To say the Lord is the one who watches over your city. What does that mean? What does that look like? We just give you four statements here to remember and to ponder as we think about what it looks like for the Lord to build our house. Number one, it means to acknowledge God's sovereignty and to trust Jesus. To acknowledge God's sovereignty and to trust Jesus. As one considers building, he must first recognize that even the ability that he has to build comes from a right view of who God is. God is the builder. God is the one who gives the strength, who gives the wisdom to build for his glory. But even before that, it it starts with a trust in Jesus. If you have not trusted him for salvation, then you are building in vain. You can't accomplish God's glory without first acknowledging your faith in Christ. All of your good and righteous acts are empty apart from your faith in Christ. We can't be forgiven and know God and have eternal life without putting our faith in Christ and believing in all that he has done for us and not anything that we have done. So the question to ask yourself as we acknowledge God's sovereignty is, am I trusting Jesus as much for the efforts of my life as I am for my salvation? Is my righteousness found alone in Christ? Am I depending on the Lord to be glorified in my relationships with my family? Am I depending on the Lord to be glorified in my relationships with those that I work with? But the success that I have in school, my finances, my education plans, as much as I am depending on him for forgiveness and the eternity of heaven, we need to be in prayer asking God to help us accomplish those things helping us in all of our work and all of our endeavors. Pray for our family members, pray for our jobs, pray for our church, that we would seek those things. So not only do we acknowledge God's sovereignty and trust Jesus, but secondly, acknowledging God's work in you and work hard. As we think about the work of salvation that was done on our behalf, we see that it was completely the work of God in us that's the gospel right he he provided a sufficient atonement for our sins completely regenerated our souls as sinners his work converted us to be new creations in him even faith is, is God's gift to us Ephesians 2 by grace you've been saved through faith it's not your own doing it's it's the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship we can work as hard as we want to make ourselves better or seek to earn god's favor but it's all vanity apart from god's work in our lives we cannot make ourselves righteous we are hopelessly lost in our sin and no amount of work on our part can change that fact or atone for our guilt. Only God can do that. Jonah 2.9 says, Salvation is of the Lord. From the first to the last, all of your spiritual labor is in vain unless God is in it. Recognizing God's work in salvation in our lives also should affect how we approach all the endeavors in our lives in our homes, in our workplaces? Are we trusting the Lord? Are we making diligent use of the the gifts, the talents, the skills that God has given us for his glory? Through Christ, our work is redeemed. Through Christ, the work that we do glorifies God and ultimately leads perfectly to reward from him. Number three, it results in Blessing. Number three is to serve God with gladness. Be thankful for where the Lord has placed you. As we look at the later part of this chapter, we see the blessings that God gives. First it says that he gives rest, but then it talks about the blessings of a family, the legacy that he gives us. It celebrates building cities, raising families, affirming God's callings in our lives. It means that there's not certain parts of your life that God is in and other parts that he's not in. It means that every part of your life God has designed and planned. They're all opportunities for you to serve him faithfully where he has placed you. An example of this is even the passages that we've read about the last few weeks over the Christmas break. Luke 2, as as we all are familiar with it, where it says when the shepherds... After they had seen Mary and Joseph, they, they left and it says that they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen. It doesn't say that they went and did something different or they didn't have an encounter with, with the baby and then all of a sudden they decided that they wanted to do something drastically different. They returned as shepherds to so their place in the field where God had called them to be to serve God there with joy. Everything we do is an opportunity to glorify Christ. So if God has called you right now to be at a place where he, where you would not desire to be, glorify God in that. Serve him with gladness. Trust in him and glorify him where he has you. Commit yourself to say that as a a husband or as a wife or as a father, as a mother, as a son or as a daughter, as as a teacher, as a as a pastor, you fill in the blank. I'm committing to bring glory to God in this. One earlier reformer, William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, he wrote in God's eye there is no difference between washing dishes or preaching the gospel. What would cause what caused him to say such a thing? It was his trust in Jesus. Acknowledgement of who God is and trusting in him. It was a desire for him to work hard where God had him. And ultimately to bring glory to him for eternity. Lastly, enjoy the reward of work. Enjoy the reward of work. Rest or sleep I find it interesting that it talks about the the anxious toil that is there in in one's working. Always wanting to do more, worrying or fearing about will I work hard enough? Will I be strong enough, faithful enough? As we think about eternity and, and our work for God's glory, the answer is no you won't. So whether you struggle with whether you're faithful enough or strong enough, you won't be by yourself. You need the Lord. You need to rest in God's sovereignty. Examine yourself by the perfect standard of Christ's righteousness. Find comfort and joy and peace in that. As we read earlier this morning, we know that we fall short of God's glory. And so on our own, we will We will not be able to stand before a holy God. All of our introspection, all of our worry is in vain. Hebrews 7 says that Christ is able to save them to the uttermost, that draw near to God. As we find ourselves pursuing those things that would battle towards earthly success or earthly pleasure, draw near to God. Ask God to be glorified in what you do. Trust in him because he promises to give rest. So this morning, I would encourage you to rest in that promise. Be diligent in all that he has commanded you to do. And remember above all things that he is sovereign. If we depend on his strength and rest in his grace, our labor will not be in vain. This morning, we the songs that we've sung have all been about needing the Lord. All that we have is Christ. And as we close, I'd like to teach you a new song. It reminds us that all our efforts to please God are only accomplished through Christ's work in us. Our only hope is Jesus. The song is called Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. Let me just read you a portion of this as we think about applying this to our lives. It says, To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine. I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need, his power is displayed. With every breath I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold. My only hope is Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I but through Christ in me. Let's pray together. God, we love you this morning. And our prayer would be that we would see our deed for you and that we would see that apart from you, we can do nothing. Lord, may you be glorified in our lives, in our homes, in our jobs, wherever you call us, may every effort seek to bring you glory for eternity, pray in Jesus' name, amen.